Good morning and happy Good Friday. Is that even the greeting though? Oh, we have Merry Christmas. We have Happy New Year. What is the traditional greeting for Good Friday? We need someone to come up with one. If you can think of a good Good Friday greeting, put it in the comment section down below on YouTube. Tell us where you're from. But anyway, Happy Good Friday. You know, every criminal claims that they're innocent. Everyone in jail always claims that there's been some massive miscarriage of justice. Certainly, when I went to jail, there was a massive miscarriage of justice. You didn't know that I'd been in jail? Oh yeah, I've done hard time. The year was 1977 and I was five and that movie Star Wars was huge at the cinemas. And my older brother, Stephen, and I, we were desperate for one of those Star Wars action figures. I would have sold my soul to have a hand Solo action figure. The problem was we were too poor. Mum couldn't afford it. And one day we were at the shops and Stephen and I were there and we were in the toy aisle and we were salivating over all of these Star Wars action figures. And then Stephen turned to me with a gleam in his eye and he said, I know what you should do. You should steal them. Get two of them and, and put it in your pocket. And I said, but why should I do it? And he said, because mum loves you more. If we get caught, you'll get in less trouble. And look, it was a great plan. It was a masterstroke of genius, except for one small detail. Our mother was listening from the next aisle and she marched into our aisle. She grabbed both of us by the ears and she marched us out of the shopping centre and into the police station, which was right next door. And she whispered in the desk sergeant's ear and then without a look at either of us, she marched out of the police station and left us there. And the desk sergeant, who was about as big as Chewbacca, this guy was absolutely huge. He looked down at us and he said, right, you two, come with me. And he took us down to the cells. And he actually ordered us into one of the cells. And then he slammed and locked the prison door. And I can still remember, you gotta remember, I was five. I can still remember the bars right in front of me and they're so thick and strong. And I can remember looking straight at his gun that was on his waist. And I remember being terrified. And he told us that we would have to serve our time. And then he walked away. Now look, it turned out that our time was actually about five minutes, but they were the worst five minutes of our lives. We were terrified. We were penitent. We swore we'd go straight from now on. And you know, I've always felt like during that whole experience that I was hard done by. I mean, when you think about it, I was just the lackey. I was entry level in my brother's criminal organisation. I didn't deserve the same punishment as him. It was a miscarriage of justice. And look, as miscarriages of justice go, even I'm willing to admit that that's pretty low on the scale compared to some miscarriages of justice. We seem to have seen a big miscarriage of justice this week, but probably Australia's most famous miscarriage of justice was Lindy Chamberlain, wasn't it? In 1980, Michael and Lindy Chamberlain took their nine-week-old baby, Azaria, to Uluru. And then Azaria disappeared. And the Chamberlains claimed that she had been taken by a dingo. But the authorities were suspicious and they arrested her. 
And then the Chamberlains endured one of the most harrowing public trials in Australian history. Lindy spent three years and actually gave birth to her fourth child in jail before new evidence led to their full acquittal. But of course, their whole life was ruined by that point. I mean, how could it not be? Their marriage fell apart. Lindy had to move overseas. She moved to America because she couldn't live in Australia anymore. And as a nation, we saw what happens when justice is miscarried. Imagine suffering like that and knowing that you're innocent. Imagine watching the days and the weeks and the years of your life go by, knowing that you did not do what they said you'd done. Imagine your reputation being destroyed beyond retrieval. Friends abandoning you one by one. Imagine the helplessness, the anger. No wonder God says, it is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the innocent of justice. God hates injustice. God hates the innocent being punished. Which raises a very big question. Why is injustice right at the heart of Good Friday? At the heart of Good Friday is the worst injustice you could ever imagine. Now, it was, it was read to us earlier. This is the night before Jesus is killed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who'd committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, isn't that the most heinous miscarriage of justice? An innocent man dies so that a guilty man can go free. And you know, there's actually a beautiful symmetry between Jesus and Barabbas that kind of heightens the injustice. They're so similar in so many ways. The obvious one is they're both men who've been condemned to die the next day. So the charge is the same. Barabbas is in prison as an insurrectionist. He was a rebel against the Roman government, which is actually what Jesus is accused of as well. In fact, they even had the same name. You see, it seems that Barabbas's full name was Jesus Barabbas, which actually means Jesus, son of the father. And so they both had the same name. Both Jesus and Barabbas are Jesus, son of the father. And so two men stand before the crowd. Both of them named Jesus, son of the father. Both of them accused with leading a revolt against the Roman government. Both of them condemned to die the next day. They could almost be twins couldn't they? Except for one thing. Barabbas is guilty 
and Jesus is innocent. Mark tells us that Barabbas and his men were in jail for leading an insurrection and for committing murder. We know Barabbas was guilty. He was being justly condemned. But Mark goes out of his way here to show us that Jesus is innocent. We're told that Jesus is innocent in five different ways in the passage. So in verse 9, we can see that Pilate would prefer to release Jesus. He offers to release Jesus. But in verse 10, we're told that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over. It wasn't because he was guilty. It was because of what they would get out of it. In verse 11 then, we're told that the chief priests stir up the crowd. It's not because Jesus is guilty. It's because of a mob hysteria led by these corrupt officials. In verse 14, Pilate then asks the obvious question. He demands to know what crime has Jesus committed? And they have no answer to that. They just bay for his blood. And then in verse 15, we're told that Pilate hands Jesus over, not in an act of justice, but to satisfy the crowd. So it couldn't be any clearer from the story, could it? Barabbas is guilty. Jesus is innocent. Barabbas is dying for, because of the crimes he committed. But Jesus has committed no crime. And so Jesus dying so that Barabbas can go free is a massive miscarriage of justice. And look, the obvious question, whenever you see a, a miscarriage of justice happening, we always want to know, how on earth did this happen? How could something so wrong have taken place? And at one level, when you read this passage, the answer is really simple, isn't it? It's the same as every miscarriage of justice. It's a product of human corruption and evil. It's all through the story. We, we see the chief priest's motive in verse 10, that it's self-interest. We see how it happened in verse 11. They stir up the crowd. They move among the crowd, convincing them. And then in verses 12 to 15, we see the crowd getting more and more frenzied, baying for blood. And then we see a weak, corrupt official doing what's popular instead of doing what's right. It's easy to see the human hand behind this story, isn't it? What's a little harder, though, is to see the divine hand, to actually see Jesus' hand in this. See, the really, well, the mad thing is, Jesus knew and predicted that all of this would happen, not just once, but multiple times. Back in Mark chapter 8, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. See, Jesus predicted his death long before we reached this point. In Mark 9, Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they'll kill him and after three days he'll rise. And then in chapter 10, Jesus said, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he'll rise. See, Jesus predicts Everything that happens here, the conviction, the handing over, the mocking, the flogging, the spitting, the three times Jesus has predicted his own death. Which means that obviously, Jesus could have avoided this 
if he'd wanted to, right? All he had to do was not go to Jerusalem. This is happening not just because of corruption, but because Jesus is choosing it. So why on earth would Jesus choose this horrible miscarriage of justice? Why would Jesus embrace this terrible, terrible crime? Well, look, this is what Good Friday is all about. Good Friday is all about the innocent dying so that the guilty can go free. You see, as we read this, we are meant to look at Barabbas and see ourselves in him. I am the guilty Barabbas being set free by Jesus' death. And look, at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, I don't actually see myself very much in Barabbas. I mean, I, I identify with Jesus in this story, or maybe Pilate, but I definitely don't identify with Barabbas here. And look, I'll admit, what I'm about to say can be fairly hard to hear. But God looks at us and he sees us as Barabbas. In fact, I'll push my luck a little bit. God sees us as having committed a far worse crime than anything Barabbas did. In fact, we have committed the same crime as Barabbas, but against a far greater authority. See, what did Barabbas do? Well, Barabbas was guilty of rebellion. He was an insurrectionist against the great Roman government. But the thing is, you and I, we are rebels against God himself. God is the real ruler of the universe. God is the true government, the true king. And we've rebelled against him. And at that point, you might think, well, how have I rebelled against God? I haven't taken up a, a sword. I haven't led any kind of insurrection. Now, our rebellion had no swords. It was a very quiet rebellion. It was an insurrection that took place in our hearts. But it was no less rebellious. Our rebellion is the decision that we make that says, I am going to run my life my way. And no God is going to tell me what to do. When it comes down to it, it's the simple question of who is going to call the shots? And the answer we give, the answer I gave is me. I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to decide what's good for me. I'm going to decide what's right for me. I'm going to set the course of my own life. I'm going to make my own rules. I remember once coming across this image on Tumblr. And it expresses our rebellion against God perfectly, doesn't it? I live for myself. And I answer to nobody. And look, if there is no God, well, that's a perfectly reasonable way to live, isn't it? I live for myself because there's no one else to live for. I answer to nobody because there's no one to answer to. I get to be in charge. But if God really is there, if there really is a creator who is our God and who is the true ruler of the universe and of me, then I shouldn't live for myself, should I? No, I should live for him. I should worship him. And I will answer to him. 
And any life that doesn't obey and worship God is a rebellion. This is all what the Bible calls sin. Sin isn't what most people think it is. Most people think of sin as doing the wrong things, doing naughty things, doing bad things. That's what I used to think it was. I, I remember being about three, three and a half years old and deciding that I wasn't going to be a good boy anymore. I was going to be a naughty boy. I was going to be a boy who sweared. And so I, I took myself out of our house because I didn't want my mum to hear what I was about to say. And I remember walking up the driveway and then I said to myself out loud, one, two, three, and a bucket of wee. One, two, and a bucket of poo. Because they were the worst things I could possibly think of saying. And then I covered my mouth and I ran back inside. And that's what a lot of us think sin is. Sin is saying rude things. Sin is being naughty. Sin is sleeping around. But that's not sin. No, sin is that basic core life-defining decision that I made about who's in charge. And that it's not going to be God. It's going to be me. It's that rebellion that happens in my heart that says, I can do whatever the hell I want and I will answer to nobody. Are you guilty of that? I am. I did it a million times. We all are. It's the nature of human beings. And you know, one of the key moments of life, a key decision that we make is where we come before God and we admit that. We say, God, I'm Barabbas. I'm guilty of a rebellion, an insurrection against you. I live my life my own way. I made up my own rules and I rejected you as my ruler. I am Barabbas. That's one of the most important things we can ever say because at that moment, we can begin to trust that Jesus died for us. We can begin to trust that Jesus, who was innocent, went to death in the place of the guilty. Because, see, that's, that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, he was taking all of God's punishment, all of God's anger, all of God's justice on his shoulders so that we wouldn't have to face it. Christianity is all about being Barabbas, the guilty one who doesn't die his own death, but goes free as an innocent one dies for us. That's what Good Friday was. That's why it is so, so good. Because it was the day that we were forgiven. Can you say those words? I am Barabbas. I am guilty. I deserve to be punished. But Jesus was punished for me. Can you say those words? Because those words are at the very heart of Good Friday, at the very heart of a relationship with God and the very basis of an eternal life with God. They're the words Jesus so desperately wants us to say to God. 
Can you say those words to God? Because, you know, Good Friday was actually, I can't think of a better day to say them. I'm about to pray something very similar to those words and you'll actually see them on the screen. If they're words that you would like to say to God, why don't you pray them with me? You can pray them out loud in your living room or you can just pray them quietly in your head. They might be the the hundredth time you've prayed them or they might actually be the very first time that you've prayed them. You can see the words on the screen now. Let me read to you the prayer. It says, God, I'm Barabbas. I'm a rebel. I haven't lived to please you. I've lived to please me. But Jesus has taken my death. Jesus has taken my punishment. Thank you. I want to give up being a rebel. Please forgive me and help me to live with Jesus as my king. Could you say those words to God? If you can, why don't you pray them with me now, just in the quietness of your own mind. I'm going to pray them line by line. Let's pray. God, I'm Barabbas. I'm a rebel. I haven't lived to please you. I've lived to please me. But Jesus has died my death. Jesus has taken my punishment. Thank you. I want to give up being a rebel. Please forgive me and help me to live with Jesus as my King. Amen. Now look, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know that you've done it. The best way to tell us is to fill in the welcome card on the screen there at hunterbiblechurch.org. If you fill that in, we'll get in touch with you because you have just made the best decision that you could ever make in life. And even if you haven't yet made that decision, we'd love to know if you're thinking about it so that we can help you to keep thinking about it. Now that we're all spending a lot more time at home, this is the best time in the world to be thinking about Jesus Christ, isn't it? And to, to work out what it is you believe about him. Why not go to the hunterbiblechurch.org page and fill in the card there and someone will get in touch with you. But for the moment, happy Easter.